Deserves golden balls as Luka Modric. I mean, good on you for those golden balls, Luka Modric. And welcome to the Down in Front Podcast, the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com. My name is Warren. I will be your host this beautiful, beautiful midday uh, Sunday. And so I want to say thank you for hanging out with us here at the Down in Front Podcast. What we usually do is review any sort of movies, TV shows, just about anything that we like, talk about sports, and all over having a beverage. So what I will do is toss it over to a couple of my co-hosts and introduce themselves. We'll talk about what we've been watching and what we're shipping on currently. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to toss it over to the beautiful, the most handsome, Brylan, mouth of the South, who I seem to always start with, and I don't think anybody has an issue with that, so... Whatever. Uh, Brylan, <laughs> what you been watching and what you drinking? Hey, how's it going? Uh, I am currently continuing to sip on this bottle of black balsam, this Latvian uh, liqueur that my brother gave me. Still tastes like cough syrup. Still has a terrible burn to it. But I think I'm getting used to it, so that might be a danger zone for me. Um, but uh, what I've been watching recently, I watched all of Glow Season 2 on Netflix. So this is uh, the series about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, a 1980s uh, wrestling show that featured uh, all ladies to it. It's in the title. Uh, but this show continues to be a one of those just really nice, well-done, very short and easy-to-consume TV shows that's out there. Um, Mark Maron is spectacular in it, so is Allison Brie and uh, Betty Gilpin, who recently got nominated for an Emmy for the first season of GLOW. Uh, but uh, it is an awesome study of like what's happening behind the scenes with all of these characters, and it's not necessarily about what happens in the ring, it's about what the journey to the ring. And so they go over a lot of really cool things. They have a lot of cool episodes where, even though not everybody gets the time to shine, they do point out uh, a lot of the key side players during this time, which I appreciate it. And they also continue to grow on the established uh, main actors as well. So it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's only like 10 episodes. Every episode is 30 minutes each. So very much like Atlanta, that's only like 30 minutes each. They're able to compact a lot of good character development and story into every 30 minutes that they get so definitely check it out nice and that's glow on season two on netflix i think that's one of the ones that's been on my list with all these other good great shows that's coming out also with a lot of shows that's been nominated for emmys and things like that i i i definitely want to watch that i'm just trying to you know always trying to find the time which is a bummer um that's cool uh it's always great to have you and it's great to see your face thank you I'm going to toss it over to my even more best friend, more than Brylan, uh, the, <laughs> the, the host of the Fear Boners podcast, the infamous Mr. Andrew Abbott. How's it going, man? What are you sipping on and what you been watching? Good shit, man. I didn't know it was a competition. I guess I'll have to try harder now. Um, I'm actually just sipping on some water because I'm still getting over being sick and uh, I'm getting ready to go to San Diego, so I know I'm going to go hard there, so... I need to need to start easy there. 
Um, but as for what I've been watching, uh, I watched a potential fear boner. Um, it is called The Devil's Doorway. Um, it's an interesting movie. It's basically about uh, two priests who are sent to an Irish nunnery um, where they basically are charged with investigating a reported miracle, and it turns into a weird, spooky kind of possession story. But the interesting bent on this is it takes place in the 60s, but it's also like a found footage, almost documentary movie. It's cut together with all the footage that they shot while they were there and like their personal confessions and all this stuff. And the only thing that sort of bothered me about it was it is supposed to take place in the 60s, and I don't really know how advanced, like, video technology was in the 60s so there are parts that are a little distracting but beyond that it was it was pretty spooky and it was pretty well done so if you're into found footage horror movies definitely check it out cool yeah i mean the catholics always have like a really good approach to horror for some reason there's something about the robes i think that make it extra scary i mean they have a whole old testament to go off that was pretty terrifying so I feel like we're uh, delving into some dangerous territory right now. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't go down that road. The exorcist is not to go down that road. No, no. Well, it's always great to have you. I'm excited to kind of definitely hear more of these fear boners as well. Definitely, especially it's one of our uh, more popular sort of episodes that do come out. So thanks for thanks for that. And I'm Warren. I'll be a host for today. Uh, Right now, I am currently sipping on. A Tecate. I don't know. <laughs> Found it in my fridge and I forgot I had it a couple days ago, so there you go. Uh, That'd so, be $12. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, in, in inspiring of the World Cup. I, I don't know where that comes from. But uh, <laughs> what I've been watching, I didn't get really a chance to uh, watch any other new shows. I am waiting for Insecure Season uh, 3 to come back, which is on August 12th. So I'm super excited to not only watch that, but re-up my HBO Now subscription because I canceled it. So that's kind of a bummer. But so I'm excited for that to come back. Um, I did take a look and I watched Ant Man with my buddy. It was the first time that he saw it. And I watched. Uh, have you guys seen the Equalizer? Because Equalizer Two is coming out soon. I have not seen the first Equalizer. Yeah, I want to. I love. I love Denzel Washington's action movies. It was one of my favorite TV shows as a kid. Yeah. I'll mention that. But I know these movies are totally different than what that was. I mean, it takes place in Boston. And so I thought it was pretty cool. So I'm like, oh, I actually been to like half those places. And I think he lives like uh, kind of close to Chelsea, like right, right before like Revere. But like he lives in like East Boston. So a lot of the shots that they had was like right where I used to live, like next door sort of thing. So I think that was kind of cool. Um, but the movie was actually very enjoyable. I thought it was really good. Uh, pretty good. You know, it was kind of sort of point of like things got a little ridiculous, but uh, still over the top. But it's still enjoyable. So I'm, I'm excited to see how they... Uh, branch from that for uh, episode uh, Equalizer 2 because I know that's coming out probably in the next couple weeks but it's pretty cool it's definitely fun so I definitely just say go check it out and we rented it on I think it's free on Xfinity uh, Demand but we ended up renting it uh, through Amazon so that's cool so we are getting ready uh, so here we are going to review Luke Cage Season 2, and I think last time that we reviewed it, we all generally liked the first season a lot. Um, some of the downsides that we had from the first season was sometimes a little bit long. There was a lot of different lulls. Uh, we can even see that they can shave off, shave off like four or five episodes. I think one of the biggest things that I like to say that it should be eight episodes, because they had a villain, then they killed him off, and then there was another villain that emerged. I thought that was kind of weird. 
Um, so, but it was still one of the more positive, kind of the up and up sort of uh, Marvel superhero sort of uh, television series. So I was super excited to see that season two just kind of dropped out of nowhere um, and nobody was like ready for it. So I'm interested to kind of hear a couple of your thoughts, just kind of overall general thoughts before we go into our spoiler section of, you know, what was some of the things that you were looking forward to for this season? And now your overall thoughts of how do you feel about it? Rylan? Uh, yeah, so my big thing, like, Luke Cage Season 1 uh, was a fantastic uh, journey of discovering, like, who Luke Cage is as a man, but also giving people, like, an eye into the culture and the idea of, or this idea of Harlem as a, like, kind of a wells- wellspring of black culture and black excellence and things like that, and also see- seeing both sides of that, too, and also it effectively used Luke Cage and his um, and the obstacles he faced to kind of relate to things that are happening in the real world as well. And it did a really effective uh, way of doing that. And then as the season went through, there were a couple episodes that just felt kind of filler at the end. And I know a lot of people were bummed at Diamondback taking over for Cottonmouth because they invested you into Cottonmouth a lot with uh, Marshall Ali doing an exceptional job at that and then you had Diamondback come out of nowhere and it felt like a very cliched like uh, bad brother versus good brother at the end and the wrap up was kind of messy um, and so what I was hoping for in season two was how do they go beyond like the social awareness and kind of start bringing up ideas of like what are solutions to social ills that we have out there or what are uh, some ways we can continue to approach Luke Cage as a character and move beyond uh, just him kind of calling it out every time. Hey, this is because I'm a black guy and not to say that's not important. It's just let's make him and complete individual as well, which I thought was really important. I think they actually succeed in doing that here. They bring up a lot of really interesting questions about Luke Cage at the very end of this season that I love. And uh, I think that overall, this this season definitely flows a lot better than the first season. Uh, and I find that uh, some of the villains they bring in that are definitely just as complex and interesting as Cottonmouth was, uh, and as well as they are improving upon characters that already exist as well. Yes. So they did a fantastic job with improving those characters, and we'll get into that a little later. So, yeah, overall, as much as I love Luke Cage Season 1, I thought Season 2 did it even better, and I felt like it was like the first Netflix film that felt like it was actually part of the Marvel movie universe. It felt very colorful. It felt like more, they weren't ashamed of the comic book feels. Like, they kept the street business of it, and then they did start to grow gradually. Hey, we know this is a comic book. Let's have fun with some comic book elements, too. Yeah. Uh, Abbott, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with a lot of what Brylan said. Um, you know, it really feels like these street-level Netflix Marvel series have really hit their stride. Um, and it was kind of a, a, a relief after, at least in my opinion, Jessica Jones season two was a bit of a disappointment to see this and have it come back to be like, this is what we're expecting. This is what we want to see. Um, and again, sort of like I said in the video teaser, like all the characters in this season continue in what felt like a natural way. And it was very satisfying to see that. But it's also 
out of all the other Netflix series, this one grounds you the most, I feel like, in the fact that, you know, Luke Cage is taking on drug dealers, gangs, like, he's protecting the streets, he's still trying to stand up and be, like, a, a, a responsible person and also kind of um, someone for people to look up to, while also kind of balancing his ego, which is interesting. So not only does he have these crazy powers, but he's also kind of trying to just deal with everyday human stuff. You know, like, you can be all that, but, like, you know, you got to kind of be a little humble when you deal with helping people at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really great. And it comes across while he's dealing with all these really big, like, problems and issues around the city. He still kind of tries to have to check himself almost every episode. Um, but also all the characters that surround him. This, this series in particular, at least in my opinion, has the best cast of supporting characters. Because while the first season had those pacing issues, it's sort of really ironed them out this season because you care a lot more about these side characters even more even some of the ones that you're just introduced to in this season are really interesting and even when luke cage isn't on the screen at all and you're seeing what the other people are up to you really want to know what they're doing and what they're talking about even when it's shades and mariah kind of making out even though that's kind of weird and distracting it's still like oh yeah well what are they up to like okay <laughs> So yeah, no, I loved I loved the characters. I loved the environment. I loved the story. Um, the new uh, the new challenges he faces in this season are great. Uh, and we'll probably get into that in a little bit. But um, yeah, no, overall, I was really happy with how the second season turned out. And like Ryland, I think it was better than the first. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely gonna have to echo both what you said. You know, I'm definitely gonna um, go off of uh, Abbott here. Of I just think there's. There was something that they did in this season very, very well that was a side character. I know we talked about, we saw Luke Cage, we saw Mariah, we saw all these people, right? Like, that was awesome. We know they're going to get their screen time. But there's other complex characters that's introduced, like Comanche, um, like Anansi. And we the amount of information that we get and how they're also aiding or or not, you know, the actual storyline, I thought that was very impactful. And it was interesting to watch because we didn't need to have Luke Cage on the screen all the time, right? It's nice when we then branch off and then once you start learning more and more about that, overall, right, like <clears throat> this is a great, great representation, I think. I, I really like this representation of... Um, showing black culture in a black, you know, community that has to do with, like, crimes and drugs and stuff like that, but not, uh, like, making it a, still a positive and an impactful sort of a stance they have on it, uh, and Luke Cage is supposed to be that guy, right? And so, it's nice when we, I talked about this before, but you have a, you know, this guy's uh, costume is a bulletproof black dude that wears hoodies, and all the shit that's happening with the world and stuff like that, that's huge to actually, you know, portray that character in today's society. So already, like, you have a step up of this is how we're going to do it, go against it. So now season two, it takes that entire concept and then add an additional layer on, well, you would think that Luke Cage is going to be fighting against, like, more of the stereotypical shit like that with white people or people that are non-black, for instance. But, you know, even in, in the season one, it was he was still uh, being foiled by other black people. In this particular case, I thought it was interesting. And there was, like, a lot of different lines that talked about, like, the Jamaicans and their culture and how that fits into this entire storyline also. And then it definitely felt like there was a creation of, like, tension between America and other nations that we didn't really get from season one because everybody I think was American. So now that you've then taken a step out and you start talking about those tensions between Jamaicans and Americans and um, 
they even talked about the fact that there was like a, a civil uh, a, like a civil rights thing that happens in Jamaica and just like all this stuff that was just being poured into this actual series that realistically we actually never seen a story about in this uh, day and age. I, I don't I don't I just can't at least remember if I can see or know of a character that can st- stand toe to toe with Luke Cage. That's not something we already saw before. That looks a little bit different. He's a black, but he's not. A, he's not like the same black-looking dude that like Luke Cage is. Like he's a little bit different. And but at the same time, he what he's trying to do isn't inherently evil. Um, it's probably not the right way, uh, but it's probably going to be evil to a certain degree. But it's also changed. And I think you had talked about it before, Bradlin. Of there's a lot of complex scenarios that I really, really enjoyed from Marshall Ali's character. Um, in the first season that I was really, really bummed when they killed him. Really, yeah. really upset. Because he did so well in it. And it's like, he... I think that was like your strong point. And the matter of fact that they killed him, I, I just didn't think um, Mariah could bring that. And I think that she was pretty deadpan a lot. But that's separate. Um, so I was kind of bummed. And, and then I was like, you know, well, who are they going to introduce this season? And I really, really enjoyed, you know, the villain that they introduced this season because it's also not only complex, but it's all over the place and it's super crazy. And it has the t- it ties down to religion and it ties down, excuse me, tradition. And it ties down to a lot of different things. And I just really enjoyed kind of watching that element of it. Uh, the other thing I do have a bit of an issue with is that sometimes they got a little bit too stereotypical. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, fuck, come on. It, it really happened in the first, like, maybe three or four episodes of this. And I was getting really nervous that, and I literally, at least when I was watching it, I was like, this fucker better not dab. Talking to Luke Cage, I was like, you better not dab and do something. <laughs> and sure enough, he did. I was like, come on, come on, man. I get it. We get it. You don't need that, right? So <laughs> I definitely had some issues with that, you know, and I definitely kind of compare um, Luke Cage and the depiction of black society to insecure in their depiction of black society uh, and how it's very different. You know, obviously it's talking about two different things, but just like the overall depiction of it, I think um, they have two different ways of it, but one's more of like a Marvel comic book movie and one's more real life. But I think they both have like really, really strong points, but they also difference in a couple different things that you take the comic book out, right? Like you take the comic book out and the story's still there. This story's still happening in New York. Uh, and all over the place. So I thought that was pretty cool. I liked it. So with that, we're going to give you a quick break. Uh, We will be back for a full spoiler jam-packed review of Season 2 of Luke Cage. See you soon. back in we are the down in front podcast we are reviewing season two of luke cage of entirety we are in a spoiler section so if you haven't seen really you know any of the first a couple episodes because it really kind of starts really interesting and then go through there i would say stop definitely go watch the show the show is pretty impactful and definitely go check it out and then come back and pick up where we left off uh, so how we're going to be talking about the entire season, we're going to break it up and talk about characters. We'll talk about the plot as we normally do. And then, you know, we'll talk about something a little bit different. We talk about our favorite moment of season two and what hopes that we're looking for for season three before we talk about our conclusion. So as always, I'm going to start with my favorite, uh, Brylin. Uh, tell me some more about some of the characters, some pros and cons you had about the characters in uh, Luke Cage season two. Uh, 
yeah, so I'll start with the man himself, uh, Mike Coulter, Luke Cage. Uh, he continues to be the embodiment of Luke Cage. Uh, he takes what he did in the first season and builds upon it really well here. Uh, I like that we get to see that he's he's past the reluctant hero and he's kind of doing what he can at a very rational level. Uh, that he thinks is a rational level to actually thwart any issues when it comes to drugs or gun running in Harlem. And he knows that he can't wipe it all out in one day. He just make, he tries to make it a better place, best he can, uh, trying to live true to Pop's word. Uh, and it's really cool to see like his journey through here because he's definitely a very... He's a guy that has a lot of convictions of, like, he has this nobility about him that he never wants to uh, have corrupted or anything. And But we start to see that what his, um, his mission starts to affect the people in his life, like uh, his relationship with Claire. That's a big thing that, um, since he feels like he needs to be a certain type of person to actually get this job accomplished, it runs into... A lot of conflict with Claire as well, them wanting to be a couple. And we got to see, like, when does he have to, it, it becomes an issue, like, uh, when does a, the whole idea of a man listening to their woman or um, or just saying, use gut instinct over rational thought. It's a really cool journey that they take him on. And... They find that, and we find at the end that he has a lot of people that give him different ideas of like how to help, and are all of them trustworthy? Are all of them uh, are all of them actually giving the best advice? And ultimately, the advice is whatever Luke Cage thinks is best, and that that stubbornness he has, uh, he's kind of builds his own world around that, and we find that that world ultimately leads up to him running Harlem Paradise, which is just like wow. Uh, so, who is Luke Cage at the end of this season? Uh, do you think he's evil now? I don't think he's evil. I think he's putting himself in a position to deal with the underbelly of Harlem to keep the rest of Harlem safe. And he's going to be the one that puts that on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we have a lot of really cool uh, people that he actually plays off of. I mean, if we look at this cast, it's a side cast. Pop's crew is still awesome. Bobby Fish and DW. Uh, DW is great comic relief at the beginning of the season, and at the same time, uh, you don't see it. It's not really spelled out until the end. But I mean, he has this like app. It's like the Luke Cage app, or let's go find Harlem's hero and check in on him. And there is uh, some coordinates to it, but I think they have a lot of fun. I think that's. A one of the nice things I like about this season is it's not as super serious as the previous season. They do have a lot of fun with it. I hated that character. <laughs> I absolutely hated that character because it was so inconsistent what he was trying to do. And I felt like they in- they literally injected him just to break tension. And then at the end, he turns around and was like, no, you got to go. What you you didn't give a shit about pop this entire time you what? Oh, yeah, I just to me, I mean, uh, it makes sense. never yeah, like that. I mean, he was definitely being opportunist, and he's like, yeah, let's make these t-shirts, let's sell these tapes uh, to make money for pop store so we can keep it and own it. Yeah, but the, I get the at issue. At the end, that, it's like, hey, Luke, you're wanting to deal with all these bad guys now, and you're still like, you're using Pop Center as a place to plan out 
to fight these bad guys. I'm just here selling t-shirts. And it becomes a matter of like, we got to keep this switch one. We can't go one way or another, good guy or bad guy. And I think it makes sense yeah, I, for I what mean, he was leading up to. I, yeah, I guess so. But like, one, like you can also see that he was like out, like he was kind of partying. He, he was not doing anything to help Luke at any point in time at all. In any in any circumstances, he never aided Luke Cage. He only did it for himself. He only, honestly, did it to get the monetary value of it. So there was yeah. nothing noble about this character. There's nothing to say that, um, you know, I'm going to step up and help you. Like I, I think that's what was missing from this dude's character because he was just there for comic relief and to score money off of Luke. And he literally was using Luke for that reason. That. Boy. But to the point where it's like, well, then why the why are you even there? I just felt like it was weird shift at the end when he was talking about like this must be was it Switzerland? I think he said. Yeah, this, is this is Switzerland. Like all this sorts of shit, and I'm like, you, I, I didn't see you do anything for these first 12, 13 episodes. What do you mean you're going to take a stand now? Like, no, 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 no. I don't think that's if it was switched around, right? If it wasn't DW, and if it was um, the Bobby father, Fish. yeah, if it was Bobby Fish. Yes, I think that should have come from him. I think that all that other stuff, when Luke Cage finally decides to, you know, I'm going to have to take a step out of the gray area a little bit, right? And I have to get my hands a little bit dirty to kind of figure out what I want. At that point, that's when Bobby Fish would be like, hey, man, he was there the entire time. He was with Pop. He gets that sort of dynamic and he gets those ideals. And I think that speech should have came from him. Not DW, who didn't give a shit this entire time. I, I just felt that that was like not not earned at all. But I hear what you mean. I mean, I think DW was. I mean, corny and cheesy side. I mean, side character. But I mean, I I don't see where it shows he didn't care. I mean, he was. He never like said, "Luke, you should go get these bad guys," or try to set up a situation where Luke would have to actually make something happen. I mean, we even had Bobby trying to like help. Luke earned some money by like calling Nike and stuff after the uh, setup of like let's see what he would do if he went to the combine and ran the NFL combine. <laughs> yeah, um, but like that's for you know paying the rent and paying the bills. DW making all this money selling Luke. That was for buying pops. He didn't put any of that money though. They were still struggling. There was no money going into that. At least it wasn't like ex- I didn't think it was explicitly stated that that money is going into pops. But then even well, eventually that's what when, he, Luke, that's when Luke turns and he tells the guy, he's like, if you want me to, to save you, you're going to pay me to that one dude. The Hero for Hire episode, when he's like at the guy's party and he tries to shoot him and yeah. then they try to get him. Then he's like, well, if I'm going to save you, now you're paying me double. Yeah. And it's like, oh, shit. So that's where like I feel like the turn in the season was, was that's when he's kind of like, okay, now I kind of have to play by these rules that I've been avoiding the whole time. And you're talking about uh, Piranha? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I said that. But please proceed, Brylin. Yeah. Um, and so, as far as uh, other side characters that I loved, um, they, um, Reggie Cathy as Luke's dad. He was phenomenal this season. We, I mean, last season we see him as uh, this uh, preacher that was very selfish with his family and everything. Uh, probably spousal abuse, didn't care about either Luke's mom or Diamondback's mom, and we end up him, the reason why he comes to Harlem and starts preaching is, hey, I'm seeking forgiveness from Luke. 
and I know I have to earn that, and I'm going to continue to be a good preacher, and I'm here and ready for you when you need me to. And mm-hmm. I thought that was just a very, very powerful statement to have mm-hmm. throughout the series. Um, Reggie Cathy, rest in peace, fantastic actor, bringing just a lot of like complexity to a flawed character. That it's a, it's also a nice reminder that hey, we're not about villains and heroes, good and evil, very black and white. There's a lot of gray area and very com- complex characters here. So uh, even someone like uh, his character can um, see a better side and want to be a better person, even if it's late in his life and everything, to say, like, um, can I have your forgiveness uh, from Luke? And even though I don't think, I don't remember if Luke actually fully forgives him or not, but they do reach in understanding at some point and even his talk with Claire about like you should be with him for those moments where he can't decide for himself I think that was a very powerful message as well and that the matters of the heart are usually attended best by the heart and the matters of the head are attended to best by the head Um, which leads to another really cool side character Danny Rand they brought him back for one episode and they knocked Danny Rand out of the park. Um, I have no doubts that uh, they got the right actor to beat Danny Rand now. They just had to write him well. And he does a fantastic job here as um, the Iron Fist. I mean, even they get to the point where Iron Fist up to this point has been super serious and like barges into every single room and says, I am the immortal Iron Fist, protector of Kun Lun. And they cut him off at this point. And it's like, we don't need to hear that anymore. Let's just <laughs> learn who you are as a character. And he, um, it's really cool that to see that the, um, the play that uh, Luke and Danny have off of one another and that they want to set up like a Heroes for Hire series, which I'd love to see, that they they gel well. They're great uh, teammates in fighting, uh, especially with like their little uh, punch to the hands type of thing that just creates a shockwave that knocks all the bad guys down or uh, just chilling there in pops or chilling on a roof and just talking about like, hey, if you're – if you're upset, if you're not sure what to do, I mean, take time, take time for yourself. Too, yeah, which I thought was really important. I loved the fact that Danny Rand was. I think they. I'm glad they learned their lesson because we've had arguably two seasons of this dude, and it was cringeworthy at its best. So, coming into this season, I didn't realize he was going to be in this episode, right? So he just pops up, and I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> right? I was like, "No, no!" But like, let's see, right? Let's see, let's see how you've improved. Let's see how you've grown with the writing, with the acting, and that character. And I think he still has that cheesiness about him, which I liked. But I think they also cut out all the other nonsense. Now it could be the fact that he wasn't on screen a lot, right? So. Yeah. Holding, withholding my judgment. This is not his show, <laughs> but I think it was like again, uh, uh, like knocking out of the park. And I love the fact that they focus morally on the fact that you know people deal with a lot of different demons and a lot of shit that they have to sometimes just deal with internally. Right? You have to kind of find your chi. He talked about all that stuff, and I love. There's a moment. <laughs> that Danny Rand gets real. I think this is when I'm like, oh, I like this character a hell of a lot more. <laughs> when he goes, uh, you know, he starts talking about they were eating, he starts talking about his chi, and, you know, Luke Cage is kind of shaking it off. He's like, okay, so tell me this. 
How are you? Like you're a black guy who who's uh, bulletproof, and you have super strength, and you'll believe that, but you don't believe the fact that I'm fight. I'll fight a dragon. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, like just Trey, Trey kind of laid it out. I was like, yes, bro, I have the same thing. Like, because uh, my one of my concerns is why the hell is Luke so like reluctant to just believe. You know, and I think it has a lot to do with his character and it has a lot to do with the stubbornness and it has a lot to do that we've seen even for, you know, talking about uh, Reggie Cathy's character. They were so fucking stubborn. And I love the fact that that was not resolved with a, like a swipe of a pin as it's so easy on the script. Right. Their relationship was still abrasive. That's going to take a hell of a lot of time to work on. Yeah. And we've seen them try and try again and try again and try again. And we've seen at least multiple attempts of them uh, trying. And there's so much failure. There's so much abrasiveness. There's so much shit that people are not going to forget in a span of 13 episodes, right? Like, that's, that's real. And I think, you know, to show that, uh, like... To show those sort of uh, environments and to show those relationships are even more like realistic that I just quite haven't seen in any other Marvel show. Um, I love that sort of um, sort of comparison. I love that relationship they kind of showed a lot. But yeah, it was cool. And also like that. I mean, he doesn't struggle with using his iron fist powers. He's iron fisting the hell out of everything, <laughs> and it's awesome to see that happen. Too. I still want both of his hands to glow. I think we, they showed it and they teased it in Iron. F- Fist, or was it the Defenders? Uh, I think, I think it was the Defenders, Iron they showed like the old footage of the old Iron Fist with both yeah, hands. With both hands. Yeah. So it's it's nice because I'm glad he still had one fist that was glowing because you know that he still has progression and he can still learn from stuff. So I'm glad they kind of at least um, kind of teased us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where that character goes. That'd be cool. Yeah. What else you got? Um, so as far as the villains, um, I think um, Alfred Woodard's Spiral into Madness as Black Mariah, uh, it's for the most part really done really well. Alfred Woodard's a fantastic actress. Um, she's definitely not starting as the um, clean-cut uh, councilwoman at the beginning of this. You know she has dirt on her hands by this time from killing Cottonmouth. She has already a little bit gone down the deep end. Uh, but she's still denying that uh, family history and that family lineage that she has as part of the Stokes family. And it's um, the thing is the madness is not necessarily all on her. Uh, it is something where she does definitely take the charge of it, and we start to see that when uh, she's full, for- full force running with... Uh, running uh, Harlem Paradise on her own. Uh, she put up her own paintings as well, and people are telling her to sell that painting, and for whatever reason, she's like, no, I'm not going to sell that painting to get this deal done. I'm going to um, keep that painting because of what it means to me. And uh, that's something very interesting that we keep on going to, is like, what type of painting goes in that background at Harlem Paradise every single time? Uh, I think... Um, that uh, when she does ultimately decide to be Mariah Stokes, when she uh, shoots a, sets a Nazi on fire and shoots him in the head just because he's screaming so much, that that's uh, definitely a great turning point for her character. And then after that, she's just like gloves are off. She's going, she's getting as ruthless as hell with everybody that she can. And for the most part, she's trusting Shades to do the right thing up until this point. And she thinks that Shades is totally devoted to her until 
Shade's friend Comanche comes into this scene. And this is a guy that he was in prison with um, for a long period of time. Uh, but um, it's really cool to see that uh, with Mariah, that not only does she um, struggle to like maintain this councilwoman image and be a criminal mastermind, but also at the same time, she, her daughter Tilda comes into the scene and that that's another whole extra mess that she has to deal with. And I think it was played really well by Alfred Woodard. Uh, the other villain in question, I mean, is uh, Bushmaster. And Bushmaster, fantastic villain. Um, I love that it continues this whole idea of like family and history, and that his family was actually part of the Stokes um, business at one time, or they had a understanding between the two families like one would be the rum business the other would be the gun business and ultimately the stokes betrayed them and that's why he has this chip on his shoulder he's going to get his uh, family's rights and business back and it's really cool to see that i one thing i really like that they did is they didn't like they didn't like try to play out constantly his um like a as typical villain like backstory with all these nuances and everything it's just a matter of um he's he's jamaican uh there's voodoo witchcraft involved with some of the things he does uh especially with nightshade that it has healing capabilities but also can lead you to madness but also it's uh something where the reason why he's tough is they quite casually say, you know what, they were given vaccines as kids and the British government was giving experimental vaccines. And there was one where a bunch of kids died except for him. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I thought that was done really well. But it, he opens up the door to a whole other part of the black culture that is in New York. And so you have these Yardies of Brooklyn versus um, the, the people in... Uh, Harlem, and just to see the juxtaposition, how they run things versus how things are run in Harlem. Harlem is about this uh, portraying excellence, very colorful, and having a big building where you run everything. Whereas in Brooklyn, it's all about the kitchen. It's like basically the place where you run. It's small, it's cozy, it's family, uh, very family oriented, and. It's definitely interesting to see that juxtaposition within those cultures that's clashing as well. I love the fact that <clears throat> when we had talked about in, uh, you know, Luke Cage was trying out and they had like that, you know, all the ESPN people there and uh, one of the guys goes like, oh, yeah, he ran this time in the 40. And it was like, oh, that could be faster than uh, Usain Bolt. And so that one line comes back, and uh, he like Luke Cage like inter interrogating. He's kind of asking some questions while he was like in the Jamaican uh, neighborhood, and he was like, "I heard you're faster than Usain Bolt." Oh, he was like, no, I, didn't, "I didn't say that. I didn't say that." He was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay." I thought That's that was one good. of my favorite good. running jokes because <laughs> it just gets funnier and funnier every moment because of Luke's reaction every yeah. single time. <laughs> Someone brings it up, and then when Bushmaster brings it up, he's, he's just like, "Oh, come on, guys!" <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was absolutely great. I'm really glad that uh, that was something that you know it's a joke on the surface, right? But then he like a little bit under the fact that you know one person does one thing and everybody forgets everything else, or they automatically assume that he's kind of faster and 
like better than you know Usain Bolt, who is like basically a beacon of hope for anybody in Jamaica. Um, so is like by far the fastest person in the world. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Of hey, America, shut the fuck up. You're not the best at everything. Like relax. And so I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, uh, the last character I'll say that had a big plus on me would be the music. The music continues to be a character throughout this series, and they continue to get uh, amazing act. Um, artists to play the music whether it's uh, Gary Clark Jr. they got this kid this 19 year old kid from Mississippi that does this amazing cover of The Thrill is Gone by B.B. King I forget his name but it's fantastic uh, KRS-One is in it so a lot of really cool music does to set the tone and like this uh, whole thing like how in the first season um, like Luke Cage is always reading these Easy Rollins novels and they kind of keep that motif of this is kind of like an easy Rollins detective story Mm -hmm. that it's all murky and gray and that it, uh, but also at the same time, vibrant and colorful. So I think that was a big win as well. I would say the biggest things that bother me were, um, for some reason, whenever Tilda, who is Mariah's daughter came onto the screen, she was all right of a character. I, I didn't really think she had that much of an interesting personality. Definitely very beautiful. But uh, whenever she said mommy, it sounded weird, sounded very bratty. And so that, like, just bothered me a lot. And then also when she... At ra- least it wasn't Shade saying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's a whole nother context as well. And then I'd say the other thing that uh, I found, like, uh, just jarring and unnerving was Shade and Mariah's relationship and that for some reason they decided to do this cougar petting make out scene every single time they got together it's just like alright we get it and you're you're deciding to do it the grossest way possible and like a man with an older woman doesn't have to be that gross why are you doing this <laughs> yeah I mean I guess it's because we don't really see it as often and <clears throat> Also, and like this is Luke Cage. This is literally all men. The only woman that we can see here at, at, at a point, and then later on, we actually get some more other powerful female characters that are like pretty high up. But at a point in this, you know, this is a man's business, and so it's nice to at least kind of have like a woman with like Mariah be at least kind of a dominant sort of character. And I thought that was interesting to have not only a woman in like the crime game to be like pretty dominant and kind of owning things but then Misty Knight and then even the captain that was also women kind of dominant on like the positive side too of like uh, the, the side of the law so I thought that was interesting that a lot of the times in a lot of different areas in the show you have like some dominant women that's all over the place and it's either black white or in the middle um, so that was pretty cool but I think it could have been more implied and not actual literal and they also could just cut it out because I don't think we needed that much. We're we're good. Yeah. We're, we're good on that one. Yeah. Uh, Abbott, what you got for me for characters? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm, I could echo some of the things Brylan said um, just to start. Danny Rand, right off the bat, he was more appealing in that one episode than he was in Defenders, especially more so than he was in the first season of Iron Fist. So if that's sort of the vibe they're going for for the second season of Iron Fist, please keep keep that rolling. Um, the fact that they were able to fit in both teases for, yes, Heroes for Hire with them two in that one episode, but also Daughters of the Dragon, that Misty Knight gets her arm. But even before that, she still has the one-armed fight scene in the bar with Colleen Wing, and you're just like, damn, this could be its own show. They have such good chemistry. 
Um, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed kind of, uh, like you were just saying, Warren, the, the badass girl power element where it's all these women in these powerful roles kind of also supporting the story and doing their thing. Like, there's this whole thing that we were talking about where Luke Cage is sort of towing the line, getting tempted to the dark side over the course of the entire episode, and Misty Knight deals with that at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. she almost plants evidence to, like, get that one guy, and then she comes around, she admits her mistakes, and then she kind of comes back around and almost acts as the angel on Luke's shoulder. She's sort of doing the same thing, being like, no, you can't do it this way, and then they have that hard moment at the end of the season where she's sort of, like, turned away. And it's like it feels so it's like so uncomfortable like being in that room with them and like having to deal with that moment um but there were other things like uh again also the the relationship between luke and his father like it starts really rough and it sort of develops into this thing that you really sort of enjoy seeing evolve throughout the season but as i was thinking about it as you guys were talking about it for me at least uh jessica jones season two one of the things that really um, distracted me from that and sort of made me not like it as much was the weird, tenuous relationship she had with her mom in that season. And they sort of echo each other in a way, but I feel like the big thing is that they tried to cram so much into one season for Jessica Jones. Meanwhile, Luke Cage has sort of pulled this out and sort of more eloquently fitted into two seasons, which is probably what a story like that deserves. So that's why it works so much better for me with this season and these characters. Um Additionally, uh, Shades, I forgot how much I loved him in the first season and how badass of a, of a bad guy he really is and um, how interesting of a character he is. And he, he develops even more so in this season, which is really great because you kind of uh, get this whole introduction to Comanche and, the, and how deep their relationship really goes. And that was sort of spoiled for me at one point in a conversation I had with Maddox, but it still sort of came off in a way where it was like really genuine and sort of hard to see at the same time when Comanche sort of finally confesses his love to him and they sort of address the fact that they did sort of have a relationship in jail and even the point where like Mariah pokes fun at him saying like, oh, were you just gay for the stay? And like, that's, it's really hard to see those conversations sort of happen. And then when ultimately Shades has to kill Comanche, it's just like so heartbreaking. Yeah. And then you just see him throughout the entire season dealing with him, dealing with these things and his emotions. And then when he's giving his confession and he has to be all ice cold and talk about all the people he's killed, you're just like, man, like, are you acting now? Are you crying on the inside? Like, what are you feeling right now? Like you can sort of, like he even tells Mariah she's gone too far after the the thing where she sets the dude on fire in the one restaurant and kills everybody else. Mm -hmm. So like, you got to wonder where like his breaking point is going to be. And so like, we know at the end of the season, he's also been arrested. I think if I remember correctly. Yep. So like, it'll be interesting to see with him if like maybe him and, um, who is it? Uh, Wilson Fisk are both in the same. Maybe that's something that could potentially develop. Meanwhile, I'm seeing these things happening, and I'm like, well, where the hell is the Punisher this whole time? Like, the Punisher would deal with these people like that, and it yeah. would be like I would love to see them all on the same screen or dealing with something over the course of a season as well. Um, so I see a lot of things really, really developing in the season, which is great. Again, like I think these seasons are really hitting their stride, even. Like, I agree. I don't think um, Tilda was a super, super interesting character. She was definitely there to sort of get things moving. Obviously, they had to have some sort of outlet for um, Bushmaster to get his ingredients, to get his powers. But in the comics, she is a villain known as Nightshade, which you sort of see her transformation sort of becoming towards the end of the season, which could develop into, like, Luke Cage season three or another Heroes Fire, what have you. 
Um, and I think that is like her whole shift being from like the innocent daughter who knows that her mother's up to some shit decided to like not be involved suddenly. Like she's almost again, like on the same arc as Luke, like kind of going from like being her own independent business owner, helping herself to being like this crazy, like I murdered my mom with poison person towards the end of the season. So a lot of people are transforming. A lot of stuff is happening and it doesn't feel like it's all smushed. Like it doesn't feel like Spider-Man three, for example, it doesn't feel like there's too much going on at once, which is great. And I feel like, again, this was such an improvement over the first season. Um, and then, yeah, to top it all off, uh, Bushmaster was, again, like an excellent, excellent bad guy. And he was much like um, Killmonger in, in Black Panther. You get, like, the sympathetic, the sympathetic psychopath almost. Like, I feel like in this case he had even more going for him because, like, he had his family business. He saw his mom murdered in front of his eyes. Even, you know, the moment where, uh, what's um, Mariah's mom's name? She, Mrs. Stokes. Yeah. Yeah. She she essentially says like, "Oh, sorry, you were supposed to be in there too, but you know they're dead and they're dead for a reason." And then it's like, "Yeah, if anything's gonna drive you over the deep end and like want to give you like a lifelong vendetta, it's gonna be someone just straight up telling you they murdered your mom." Like, so he definitely had his reasons. He went about it a little bit of the wrong way, but you know, you're kind of torn throughout the whole season, like who to support, what to do. But then, you know, they really didn't hold anything back. They pressed the envelope. There were heads on pikes. You know, I'm I'm all about that kind of <laughs> stuff. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, the characters in this season were really well handled. Yeah, I still think Tilda's a bit of a troubled character just because. Um, I mean, she definitely has a past that uh, when we're realized about it, that she is the product of incest, incestuous rape, which yeah. is definitely a very dark disturbing thing that scene was yeah that was really heavy when that finally came because you find out about it before she does and then when mariah's finally like oh yeah here and it's just like oh god you can just feel like that feeling in your throat you know like you're almost choking up because it's just like oh god yeah Yeah. but also at the same time i feel like for some reason it's like a huge jump for her to be a fully-fledged medical doctor, and then she decides to open uh, a Bed Bath & Beyond instead. <laughs> Just because she decides that, oh, uh, homeopathic uh, ways are better than traditional medical ways. And you're like... <laughs> Come on, you didn't have to go to medical school for that. You should have just opened it. Yeah. It's a nightshade dispensary. I felt like her character should have been introduced and been more prominent in the first season. Yeah, so that's as a something. Doctor at as, hospital. Exactly. Something happened. Yeah. Right? There's a falling out or something that were to happen so that then she was like, you know, and she doesn't have to be that much in the first. I'm talking about maybe only have to be in maybe one, two, like maybe one, one and a half episodes this first season. So, so that she's then, not in the first season at all? No. No. Okay. So, in like, I think that's one of the issues that I had with her. She kind of pops up and didn't get all the screen time. And I'm like, wait, hold on. We've already introduced <laughs> all this other shit. Why are you trying to jam pack this into it, too? Like, I don't. I, it's, it was tough. And I liked that, you know, they had two of the similar, you know, Luke and his father and uh, Mariah and her daughter, right? And it was both, we got those stories, but both were very, very different stories too of like abrasiveness, relationships and things like that and trying to mend. Uh, and I think, Brylin, you said it best of just like children and family ties and like this was what the entire season's about. So I like that they had that uh, parallel between them, but we knew something was going on with Luke and his father 
from season one that carry over, and that's why it's more impactful here. We don't get any of this stuff until this season two, and it felt like it was like too much of like I'm trying to learn more about her as a lot of other shit's kind of happening, and it, I, and I also didn't really she I didn't really believe a lot of her acting. She was kind of there, uh, was kind of bummer. Um, <laughs> Uh, she was. She exists. Yeah, it, it was just like, oh, I'm, I'm not uh, okay. Okay. So, so who do you guys think are gonna is gonna take over? Like, obviously, Luke is not forever going to be like the head of Harlem's Paradise, like the crime lord that they sort of kind of set him up to be at the end of the season. Do you think it's gonna be uh, Tilda coming back as like Nightshade suddenly? Do you think it's gonna be Shades getting out of jail somehow? Do you think it's gonna be some other third party we're gonna be introduced to? Where do you think it would go from there? Uh, it's interesting. I think uh, we should talk about the plot a little bit more before we get into that. True, true. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a good point because I, I, I have a couple other thoughts. But yeah, we can definitely circle back to that because I didn't see Luke being set up as a crime lord, but I also didn't see him being set up as a, you know, beacon of hope any, as much anymore. Um, but we'll talk about it, yeah. Um, the only other thing that I'll kind of just add to uh, this one is a, a bit of the side characters. I was really introduced. Uh, I was really interested in learning more about Shades because I actually didn't like his character really at all in the first season. Um, but then they add, you know, that complexity. And again, they add the different levels to these characters and you start you know, peeling away, you start learning more and more. Not even about the Comanche stuff, but all the shit that he had to deal with consistently and constantly. And he was the one who put Luke Cage in that state anyway, right? So he's a re reoccurring character that's um, keep being introduced and you start learning more and more stuff. And w even with Comanche, like they had like their um, you know intimate relationship there. We then find out that he kept going back to his mom and kind of talking with him. And then you start figuring, you start noticing that not only did he kill Comanche, but he killed his brother too. And he had been lying to the mother this entire time. And so after b killing both of her children, right, I really, really enjoyed, but that was just like, that was a fucked up moment from Misty to have her mother, to have Comanche's mother in the other room, which I liked, I liked the use of that uh, two-way glass. They used it a lot, but they used it a lot of different, like, effective ways that didn't get boring. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but I like the fact that, you know, they used that to also break that character down even more. And I think you had said it best, um, both of you guys said it best of, we see that that is a step that, you know, Misty is taking, uh, you know, good, bad, good, bad, or, you know, even more effective. And that's a bit of that gray area that she didn't need to do that at all. That was not something that's needed, but I think she wanted to do that because her, I think, bit of emotional, like personal thing has kind of got and kind of stepped up and was, was there. Yeah, I think it's more right and easy than good and bad. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I know, like, I need to follow my job in a certain process, probable cause, uh, warrants, all this stuff. But I know this guy is evil mm -hmm. and wrong. If we take him off the street, it's going to make the place better. Even when and you so, well, even even when you know you have even mentioned that that you know Misty was about to go and plant evidence and went to Captain Ridenour to say. To tell this, and he was like, you know, I, I pre basically I appreciate you telling me you didn't do it, and that's what makes you like, uh, uh, um, you know, that's what makes you a good cop, right? Really, like this is what makes you like on the right side. You're doing this right job, um, yeah. and I think they even to a point where they even mentioned, you know, she didn't, she had kind of one arm, 
uh, in you know earlier in the season, and everybody was treating her differently, kind of looking at her, and she, you know she was just basically dealing with that shit, and she had to f- figure out and deal with a lot of things of how she's gonna get over this you know uh, challenge now that has been produced with her. And I love the fact that you know she even said you know I don't want a purple heart, I just want my job. You know I want to you know I want to help. I wanna, this is what I want to do, and how although she said she didn't you know she, there was no doubt in the world, she was like. This is a little, there's probably a little bit of doubt there that, you know, I, I, like my arm was lost and for what reason sort of thing. Like she was trying to do what was right. But at the same time, every time a person in this scenario or season or in this sort of a community and uh, universe, every time somebody's trying to do something right, they always end up on the wrong side and sometimes end up dead or injured. Right. And so I think you keep seeing that more and more and more that keeps happening, too. So. But that was just pretty cool. I just love like kind of being and kind of learning about these characters. And then the last one I was talking about is Anansi. I think we talked about that. Of you know he, you start learning more and more of him and Bushmaster's character. And I think initially when Bushmaster comes, he sees him and like basically was like, nah, I don't think I want to have anything to deal with you." Basically, but he was the voice of reason throughout. And I think arguably he was one of the most consistent characters in this entire season because he was right about just about everything and he was just trying to do right for himself and his family and everything he was trying to do. I don't think he was doing anything illegal, right? Uh, But he also got caught up in everything that Bushmaster wanted to do and I like the analogy they were talking about, you know, the king of the hill, right? And to the fact that he was just kept trying to tell Bushmaster or, you know, his name is John McIver, right? Or... Uh, he, he kept trying to tell Bushmaster of like you, you don't do this basically don't do this like it's gonna be only a, the only thing that's gonna come up is that you're gonna lose just about everything you you you, you enjoy and you're gonna lose even more stuff like I think you're gut you're done and he ultimately kind of paid the price for Bushmaster's actions and I think that was even more like hurtful right because once Bushmaster comes back and him and Luke Cage are on the same side at least kind of looking at things on the same view of Mariah Stokes is evil, right? And somebody needs to stop her. But, um... It was I, like, uh, Bushmaster's Bobby Fish. Yeah, like exactly. Bobby Ex- Fish was kind of like... Exactly. Uh, let me just lay out to your real, this is what you're doing wrong, this is why you're messing up to Luke, uh, and this is what you need to focus on, Luke, to be a good person, who's kind of yeah. doing the same thing to Bushmaster. But I, 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 I liked also the fact that they pull in these people that are arguably innocent, and ultimately because the actions of the radical, you know, Luke Cage, Bushmaster, Mariah, because of their actions, innocent people are going to die. Um, and, and I think that's like just an impactful thing to do. It's pretty cool. So talk to me about the plot. Uh, Brylon, what you got? Uh, yeah, so before I dive into plot specifics, I wanted to just talk about, like, overall, one big thing about Luke Cage and they and even the first season is they do use a lot of symbolism for things that are going on as well. And I think it was really well how they actually set this kind of tone and, like, kind of perception of how characters see themselves and they do this with the paintings inside harlem paradise so we saw with cottonmouth he had uh the classic uh, notorious big uh picture with him with a crown on uh mariah has this uh kind of like uh, it's uh, it's kind of a uh existentialist take on that it's actually two faces with a crown on instead oh of the basquiat painting the basquiat painting yeah 
And then we see Bushmaster. He brings in a picture of Marcus Garvey uh, for his Jamaican roots and like just saying, like, hey, I just led a revolution over an oppressive regime type of thing. Mm. Uh, and then we also have, at the end, Luke Cage puts up a picture of Muhammad Ali. It's just like, I'm going to be the guy that does the right thing no matter what, even if it puts me in a bad place or mm. puts me in a bad situation. He's going to find a way to win. Uh, and so I think that's really telling for all those different characters, like having those different paintings and pictures go up for them. And I think it definitely helps set the tone and the mood for every part of Harlem Paradise. And it brings up this whole thing of like Harlem Paradise itself. Is it, does that building make people evil? Or is it more of like that building is just the center, is the heart of Harlem based on what Harlem wants to be at that time? Because we see throughout the story that, yeah, people love Luke Cage. First time he shows a moment of weakness, like when Bushmaster knocks him down and it's on the Harlem Heroes app. People are like, yo, you're whack now. You got beat. Yeah. There's someone stronger than you out there. You're not all that. And so they stop looking at him. Even though it's very superficial, it's like kind of like, what does it take to take a person down? It, in the first season, it was a magic bullet that was created to take Luke Cage down. That we find out that magic bullet doesn't work anymore. So now we actually have it's more of a, who what your standing is in the culture and the society. That's what matters most, uh, and it's uh, it's really telling for what Luke's journey is, and also for any character's journey is throughout this. Uh, this season um some of the really cool things i thought were really interesting about the plot was this is definitely a much lighter tone they actually set up these uh scenarios where he has to piranha hires him to um to be there to help with a party and be like security and everything and then when he gets there he realizes it's not always security it's also for photo ops and you got to do what like anybody that's there ask you to do or you're not going to get paid that's kind of the deal and it's a kind of a raw deal in luke's eyes uh and it's something where he he calls in foggy to actually help negotiate that stuff which i really like that's cool and i like that uh foggy walks in and he's like is that ghostface killer <laughs> 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 yep yep that's ghostface killer um and it's um and those lighthearted moments they definitely break up kind of like the more seriousness but they don't they don't ignore the seriousness that in this uh plot um i think the whole backstory of the stokes versus uh the mcgyvers is really done well um i like that we see bushmaster taking all these uh very nuanced small approaches to get to where he wants to so when mariah and shades are trying to raise money to do this legitimate practice of buying a part of a business or buying a business and then using that money to start a kind of like a wellness center for uh, people with needs and everything that are for, it's for moms, I think, for uh, underprivileged moms. And it's, uh, and they, they need to go through that, but also they find that the people that want to buy their guns, they're dropping like flies. So they like get a bag of, a bag of guns back and there's a head in it and mm -hmm. stuff. And um, there's moments where um, one guy wants to buy their guns, but then, Luke, uh, out of fits of rage, he actually beats him almost until he's nearly dead and puts him in the hospital. It's like, this is the first time we've seen Luke go beyond that hero 
persona. He's just like, hey, this guy's been beating on his uh, girlfriend and his kid. I'm not going to stand for that anymore. And he takes it a little too far that uh, it goes beyond justice and it goes into vengeance. Mm. And that's definitely a line that Luke, once he crosses it, um, he's kind of taken out his own personal frustrations too, especially like with his relationship with Claire. Um, and then whenever uh, they uh, take these moments to uh, actually uh, – have Luke be a little bit funny, a little bit more in his uh, mindset. They, they let him break the fourth wall, which I just thought was really cool. And like, there's points where Mike Coulter just goes like, well, you know I'm the executive producer, right? <laughs> 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 and I thought that was uh, really done uh, really well. Um, I thought for any like filler uh, episodes, like, like you said, they both set up um, the Daughters of the Dragon and they set up uh, Heroes for Hire very well with Danny Rand and Misty Knight and um, who's Danny Rand's girlfriend? Colleen Wing. Colleen. Colleen Wing. They all do a great job and they continue to make those characters really cool. Um, I wish that Claire and Luke's uh, relationship was uh, explored a bit more. It felt a little bit too abrupt that Claire... Uh, left. I understand why she left at the time that she did. That she's like, you know what? Uh, I can't be here for you right now. And it's not about like that you're injured and you're just seeing me more as utility than anything and a need that you have rather than me, us being a couple. And until you figure that out, I don't know if I can be with you anymore. Uh, and so that that's it. And then we don't see her for the rest of the season. She's yeah. mentioned probably once more and that's it. And I think they could have at least tried to bring her in one last season. Well, wait, no. They do end the season with Sugar coming up to Luke while yeah, he's in oh, Harlem's yeah. Paradise and saying Claire's here. Oh, right. Oh, and goes, right. And he doesn't go to even talk to her. He tells Sugar, go tell her I'm not here. No, he says tell her to go home. Yeah, go or home. Tell her to go it's home. Even worse, like, because it's like, because it's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, she's not going to want to see me in this way. Yeah, um, and it's and it goes back to I find like this whole idea of the uh, the culture and the kind of the mysticism behind this Harlem's Paradise place. They've made it very interesting, whether it's the Stokes and the MacGyvers, whether it's Cottonmouth, whether it's Mariah running it, whether it's Bushmaster that's ran it briefly. When Luke's there, it you always find that whoever's at the top in that Harlem's paradise, they're kind of like they have to either cut themselves off from anything they care about and they have to focus on something else, which they may or may not like. And it's really telling to see that Luke Cage, Harlem's hero, bulletproof man in a hoodie, at the end, he's wearing a suit and tie because he feels like that's what he needs to wear in order to be the runner of Harlem's paradise. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, like, I want to say Luke's not evil at the end. I know he's not going to deal drugs. I know he's not going to run guns. I know he's not going to stand for that. But also when you see him easily just give up the, the hoodie and put on a suit and tie at the end. And you could say like, well, it's professional establishment, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know what? Luke Cage is Luke Cage. Yeah. And that hoodie is part of who Luke Cage is and how he easily casts it off and puts on a suit and tie. 
that does he have to really he's taken a step into a little darker place that he may lose a lot of people from well even before he's that he's wearing the hoodie under the suit <laughs> that'd be awesome if he just rips it all these like hoodie time <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember her name but like the right before that you know sequence of um, when he finally kind of takes that sort of uh, stance is when he goes to you know one of the other higher rep women and was like okay well you know, yeah, just, the leader of the Italian mob. Yeah, basically says, you know, you can do your business just in this section, this section, this section. It's still going to happen. I'm not going to enforce my things on it, but just don't go back, don't go past in my hood, basically. And it's just like, okay, you know. And I think that was, uh, you know, him shedding the hoodie and kind of getting to more. Like it's, I don't think he's going to be evil by any means at any point. But he's, he needs, he now knows that, you know. His hands can't be as clean as he wanted them to be when he's trying to kind of enact um, how he's going to clean up the hood. So, Well, he was breaking that dude's fingers, too. That yeah. was, like, rough. Because he's like, okay, like, I count off the ways that I'm going to stop you. Yep. <laughs> I thought that was great, by the way. Uh, what else you got for uh, plot, Abbott? Um, I mean, Brylin did a great job covering most of it. Uh, again, I just see a lot of promise going forward, however they manage to handle it. I don't know if, um, like, what going forward is probably going to be Daredevil Season 3 next, if there's going to be any sort of overlap, or, like, if Daredevil comes back and suddenly is just like, what happened while I was gone? You know, suddenly, like, Luke Cage is in charge of all this stuff, and, like, that was, like, a weird way to end it. Like, you're kind of stuck rooting for this hero the whole time and now he's in this weird kind of amorphous position that could go either way and it's sort of the best of a worse situation but it'll be interesting he's push he's still sort of pushing everybody away um but you know it'll probably take another episode or like another interaction with him and danny to kind of talk it'll be interesting to see like danny's input on like how things ended up like if he mm-hmm. comes and like the other people that will sort of interact with luke cage now um but leading up to that, there's all these different um, punctuations throughout the season, and even characters that died in the first season are sort of brought back up and given like a like a posthumous, like ghostly character. Like um, I always forget who is uh, Misty's partner from the first season. He comes up several times because everything sort of leads back to him and like how he was a dirty cop, and he even shows up in flashbacks actually a few times um, where they even try to almost like double back and make him a little bit more sympathetic because he was sort of more of an asshole in the first season. Scarf. Scarf, yeah. Um, But, like, that's the thing, is I feel like you get sort of full coverage for all the characters. Like, even even the side characters, like, you know, you you find out what's happening with Sugar and his family and his life, and he decides to finally give up once Mariah's gone over the edge, and you realize he has a wife, and his wife donates clothes to Mariah. Little touches like that throughout the season are, like, so nice. After, like, Mariah's house gets burnt down, even though she's, like, crazy at that point, he's like, oh, you're about the same size as my wife, let me bring you some clothes. And, like, little honest interactions like that are what really pull the pull the season together for me. It's just, like, there's all this other crazy shit going on, but they still have the time to fit in little things like that, which is really great. Um... And again, like, it really sort of leads me to, to want more interaction between the different, like, Netflix characters and how these things sort of affect the world at large. Sort of what I was saying before is it really grounds things, because if you think about it, the other characters, like um, uh, Iron Fist and Daredevil, are all fighting these, like, ninja clans and worldwide operations, and they're going to Japan and other parts of the world to deal with it. 
Um, Jessica Jones sort of fights like a worldwide thing because of the, the things that she's dealing with, but like Luke Cage is literally just putting walls around Harlem now. Like he's trying to just protect his own people, his own area, and like that's great, but it's also going to cause a lot more problems. Mm-hmm. He's fixing problems, but he's also creating so many more, and I think that's what really takes the plot for this season and just elevates it and just makes it more than it could be and introduces us to a lot of things that could keep this going for a while. Yeah, it's also very interesting to see that um, in the in the uh, Heroes for Hire episode that uh, when they do visit Mariah in Harlem Paradise and um, Luca Luca says like they're not going to shoot you to Danny. He's like, oh why? And it's like, well, you're a billionaire. Money <laughs> yeah, matters to these people. Billionaire white boy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I think uh, that it's a uh, it's really interesting that uh, I lost my train of thought. Forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing, though, that did stand out for me this season was that um, I think, again, considering the other shows, the first season of Luke Cage kind of didn't have as good of um, fight choreography because he doesn't really have, he's sort of more like a, not a boxer, but like a sort of a street brawler kind of, like he doesn't have an established style. And this season, it felt more like it was very much well rehearsed like it felt a lot smoother like especially with um bushmaster introducing capoeira that was really dope yeah um but like the one fight where they're on that crazy bridge and he knocks luke off of it that was so cool and like they have a bunch of other great fight scenes there's no like stairwell fight scene or there's no hallway fight scene that you can call out like some of the other seasons but the fighting was definitely a lot better in this season I'm glad they also didn't try to put those stairwell or those, you know, continuous fight sequences in here to try to say, oh, hey, we have saw it happen once. Let's see if we can kind of one-up it. No, 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 no. I'm glad they kind of went on and did it themselves. I'm, I'm glad they actually worked on a bit more of the choreography because uh, I felt like that was really bad in the first one. Like, Jessica Jones also was bad, too. Um, so I'm glad they at least kind of worked on that one a little bit more. It made it a bit more believable. Um, also into the fact that, you know, when Danny was kind of fighting him, I think he had mentioned this before of his fighting style kind of changed the point where he's actually not trying to hurt people, right? He's just trying to like just basically disable people or, uh, make it so that they don't kind of hurt anybody else. So, um, I, I do like that, you know, majority of his fighting thing was just like, okay, you're done. Okay, you're done. Okay, you're done. Yeah. I that was kind yeah, of Yeah, like cool. I feel like. forehead if someone gets knocked out. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is, kind of stuff. Cool. That's why it's. It's tough for them to to build a choreography for characters like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones because they're just powerhouses. So they only need they should only need like one hit. But I feel like after, especially after Defenders, they have this great um, um, dynamic they can work with now. And you saw it in the Danny Rand episode where Danny's doing all the serious fighting, but Luke is literally at some point just blocking bullets, and that's great. Like I think that's really cool. Like he's as much as offensive as he can be. Me, like having a fighting offense, he's definitely more of a defense kind of guy. <laughs> I didn't think he was that offensive. My God. His moves are offensive. <laughs> I think Mike Coulter's a nice guy. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's true. I would like out of all the out of all the actors, I would love to meet and like go out to lunch with Mike Coulter because I feel like he would just be fun to hang out with. I think I like I like Danny Rand probably because he's from Game of Thrones, so I think that he cool. was at he was at Boston Comic Con last year. We saw him. Was it Baltimore Comic Con? Sorry. Yeah, I wasn't invited. Uh, well, you can come this year if you want. I'm busy. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Warren. No, oh, okay, quick. See, this is why you're not my favorite. I'm sorry. 
Uh, so yeah, so let's um, you know almost there. Uh, let's, if we wanted to talk about some of our favorite moments of season two, uh, and then you know what hopes that we have for season three. What do you what do you got for sort of favorite moments, Brylin? Uh Some of my favorite moments, um, I would say, would be uh, definitely when Mariah opens the doors to the new uh, center and sees all the heads of the um, other crime families just on stakes right there. And you're just like, oh shit! And just how they do a really good job of like, it uh, like they're showing it on the news and they like have the news reports. They're warning this might be graphic. They just get that split second peek <laughs> afterwards. I thought that was really done well. Um, but I gotta give it up to when Danny punches Luke's fist or Luke's hand and just knocks it out. That shockwave was excellent. I even like the scene of just them two sitting in the barbershop uh, seats too. Yeah. So I think it's just really telling of like where their friendship is and where it's going as well. Uh, and what I'm hoping for, I hope Luke still tries to be Luke Cage and what did that means? Um, to me is that he is the hero of Harlem. He's going to do what he feels is right. And that he runs into obstacles that he's, he's the one that's ultimately choosing what is right. And that's the whole issue about this season is like when you don't listen to others or bring in others into what you're trying to accomplish, you might become your own worst enemy as well. And so I don't think Luke's going to start dealing drugs. I don't think Luke's going to start running guns in Harlem or anything. I think he's going to be using Harlem's Paradise as that meeting place for that Italian mob, for the uh, Hispanic mobs, for the Yardies if they come back to power to sit down and kind of negotiate this is Harlem, these are those walls. But like Abbott said, what are going to be the consequences of putting these walls up around Harlem? Uh, what is the conflict within your own community that's going to happen that mm-hmm. you got to deal with as well? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Abbott, what you got for me? Yeah, I know I've been sort of peppering them throughout our entire discussion. There's so many great points in this season, but one of the things that I thought was interesting was the fact that we find that people are selling street drugs. First, it's Luke Cage, and that's like you get down to the theme that like sometimes all you have is your name. And, like, for him, it's always, like, his dad's trying to call him Carl Lucas, and he's like, you know my name, and then it's like, yeah, everybody does. It's like crazy drugs. And then by the end of the season, all of a sudden, it's Bushmaster. The drug is Bushmaster. And I think both of those reveals were, like, they, like the person's OD'd or, like, they catch the drug dealer, and there's that little turn. It's the packet with their name on it. It's that oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really powerful and effective. Um, but otherwise, again, like, the fight scene on the bridge was really dope. Um, and like the accompanying flashbacks when he has that moment where he hits the water and like almost drowns, but apparently you can't also drown Luke Cage. That part was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think again, like a lot of going forward, seeing where the character goes, where future seasons of the show go, if they do proceed either as Luke Cage or as heroes for hire, um, I really am interested to see what other characters reactions are to where he is now as like, technical leader of the Harlem crime scene, even though, yeah, I don't think he's going to be dealing drugs. I don't think he's going to be dealing weapons or anything like that, but he is going to continue towing this line. And I think that really um, leads into some interesting conundrums for him. Yeah. I mean, basically the Harlem crime scene, as we know it right now, is Luke sugar talking about sports or something like that. (laughs) It's just going to be like, whatever, just come see ghost face killer at the club. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, 
I have, I have a couple of different uh, moments that I did enjoy, um, like favorite ones there. Um, I think the first one was when we actually see, it was not only the moment that it happened, but the fallout and how it happened, because I think it was a uh, cliffhanger, and then it went into the next episode. I think it was maybe like episode two or something like that, because Luke Cage was walking around like his shit does not stink, and he's like the best. But then right before that sequence, right, we see that he punches the wall um in Claire's apartment and I think that was like a it, it felt like the entire tension sort of changed so that everything changed about that and Claire goes some says something along the lines of you know I've been down this road before and I and I'm not gonna do it I and basically like left and so Luke reeling trying to figure out you know what the fuck to do he's not entirely sure to do he's trying to call and he's like walking down and fucking gets decked automatically and like I think that the episode is he gets knocked out and everybody's like oh shit I think that was a great moment uh, just because that entire like sequence was like maybe like four or five minutes or something like that maybe a little bit longer but I think that was really really cool because then after everybody keeps coming up and keeps blaming Luke of this this thing happened like where were you you should have been doing this like where were you and like basically just dragging his name through the dirt at this point um, so I thought that was uh, definitely kind of a cool component there. Um, I liked everything about that. And I think it really kind of raises a lot of different interest levels of like, oh, shit, like when you're walking around like you can't be beat and you're getting knocked out, then h- how do you kind of recover from that? Um, so I think that'll be that's uh, pretty cool to kind of see there. The other thing, the other one that I thought was really, really impactful was the fact that Mariah um, kills everybody in that uh, restaurant and straight up burns an Ozzy, uh, Anzi. Uh, an Anzi. An Anzi, there we go. And so that I fit, felt like was definitely like the over the, the overboard portion of it because earlier in the actual sort of season itself, Bushmaster tries to do that with Mariah and Luke saves them both. And now, because Luke saves them both, she was had the ability to then kill everybody there and then burn, um, burn him in front of every, like basically burn him and then ended up shooting him after, which was kind of fucked up. Um, so I thought that was another sort of like uh, impactful moment in the story because that was where I think Shades was like, "I'm done," sort of thing. I think we kind of talked about that. Um, the other one that I just really liked was when, you know, Luke and Danny were just talking and they had, they walked up to the top of the, to look over the entire city and talks about kind of chi and kind of, kind of, um, holding things in, which was ultimately why I thought Luke would like embrace the fact that she's given him, you know, the uh, Harlem's paradise so he can overlook everything. And like, that would be his perch. Um, so I thought, kind of, I thought that was pretty cool. I like that sort of that imagery that was kind of set up, uh, early on and then kind of coming back, but the fact that Mariah basically dies in holding, basically, as she kind of dies in jail, was that was kind of fucked up. That was a, that was kind of messed up, especially. I do like the fact that, right, <laughs> especially right, it's after that when she shanks. Oh, <laughs> ladies. Yo, so yeah. I was like, oh shit, she's gonna get fucked up, and I was got really excited, and then she was like, oh yeah, and then straight up fucking kills this woman. I'm like, <laughs> oh she's okay, she's fucking crazy. Uh, but it was cool. I'm glad that she. I'm, I'm glad they killed Mariah. Uh, I'm I, as like the show writers, I, I was I think at this point like there's nothing more that we needed from her, and I think that was kind of a good um, portion of it. They could have had a crossover with Orange Is the New Black. Yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Orange Is the New Red. 
Uh, yeah, but like, look, hopeful things. Like, I think at this point for right now, you know, definitely echoing off some of the things for season three. Like, I would like to see that. But at this point, also, I it, I think it's time to kind of start tying these shows together because I think now, once we have two seasons of Daredevil, two seasons of Jessica Jones, two seasons of Luke Cage. And then we have the Defenders, and we have, like, the Iron Fist, right? Like, already we're getting a lot of shows and a lot of content. And the Punisher. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So, we even with Punisher, it's like, okay, there's no fucking way that none of you runs into each other. Or, you know, these worlds, because all of them are in the same, like, I can understand everybody else, right? Avengers and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, cool. But all of you are in the state of New York. (laughs) <laughs> so city of New York. the city of New York yeah so I'm like <laughs> no fucking way like at, you have to then tie some of these things together a, a bit more than having these kind of one-offs into other things because I, I mean that was one of the things that I just didn't enjoy Jessica Jones 2 season 2 because it went off a lot of different tangents I'm like what the fuck uh, what and so it even with even sometimes even with Luke Cage, you know they talked about Danny Rang. He was introduced, and I see that. But they're all on their different storylines and story arcs, and to the point where it's like you can keep writing all this content, but ultimately it has to come to a crescendo sometime. And I don't know if they want to all take a break after the stuff that happens with Thanos, and you know we even talked about it with Ant Man and the Wasp. You know uh, how that movie ended, which I uh, think both of you guys have seen. So. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, oh. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, uh, I think they've seen that movie. Yeah. So how that? It's, um, I think it's funny. Like uh, Kevin Smith once said, um, the guy that Craig Clerks, big comic book guy, he said, um, you know, it's weird that Daredevil defends Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen is like three city blocks, <laughs> and Harlem is like its own city unto itself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it is, it is interesting, though, because like you're saying, Warren, uh, this was the first season, I feel like, where they did uh, cross over a lot more. Even though it was only like Colleen Wing and Danny Rand that showed up, they did talk a lot about uh, Daredevil. They mentioned Matt several times and mm-hmm. like how, like, oh, Matt wouldn't want this like after his sacrifice. There were several like small conversations like that. But also, uh, I think either Claire or Misty brought up Jessica a couple times to Luke. In like small conversations, so like they are talking about each other, which is kind of an upgrade from before, where it was kind of like they existed in separate universes. Yeah. But after Defenders, I think there are slowly moving into something. Yeah, but then at, like they even mentioned um, who's the reporter now. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> the redhead. Yeah, yeah you guys. You, you guys both say oh yeah, and nobody gives you your yeah, name. Oh, I can't think of it. Um. Though, so they even mentioned her. And uh, yeah. she was directly involved with Karen the Punisher. Page. Karen, thank you. So yeah. she was directly involved with Punisher. And so even though they're starting to drop these hints, it's like, okay, but th- this dude, uh, like the some of the actions that the Punisher have taken is like pretty, almost global, almost like global, but like tons of shit was happening. And people yeah. are, uh, buildings are exploding and everything. And it's like, Mm, come on, like, at, at some point, that has to happen. So, you know, my hope for season three, right, I, I don't, th- I think at this point, you've had two seasons of some of these ones. I think you sort of need to build it off and have, like, a different series um, that's overarching, you know, Marvel superheroes or whatever you want to name it, but, like, starts talking about all these stories that's happened around the same time that's kind of splicing a lot of different things in. Um, 
Because I think that's gonna be, it's gonna be pretty impactful. Like, I don't think you need to have one different villain, but if we keep having these separate storylines and story arcs, I just think it's gonna get tiring. Um, so is these gonna happen pre-snap or post-snap? Well, now it has to happen post-snap. Yeah. So, like, I don't think you can have anything that comes out within the next year until after the next Thanos movie. So, if they do, think, if they do, it's gonna be like a huh? Why? So I think uh, Daredevil season three is early next year. Yeah, I think that's gonna be technically before Infinity War two. Yeah. Well, and that's okay because at least the way that the Defenders ended, yeah, uh, Matt is like off somewhere. We actually don't even know where the hell he is. So I, I don't know what I would have. Huh? Club Med. Club Med. Okay. <laughs> that, that makes sense. So we can at least kind of fill some. We're trying to figure out what's happening there, and then with during that story, they can kind of fill him in on all the other shit that's happening and how he kind of comes back. So I think that'd be cool. He should just come flying in on uh, what's the dragon's name? No, Shao Kahn. Yeah, Shao Land, the dragon. Just Daredevil comes flying in on a dragon. Oh, hey guys! Like, oh, sweet Christmas! You're just mixing up everything in there. So yeah, lasting thoughts that we have with Luke Cage season two, Bradley. What you got for me? Uh, I found this season to be better than the first season of Luke Cage, which I already love, so that makes it number two on my Marvel Netflix series list. I think Punisher's still number one. Uh, I think it just deals with a lot more uh, serious overtones that speak to me as a person a lot more. Uh, but I think this is fantastic as well. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do next. Last and thoughts, Abbott? Yeah, no, just sort of echoing Bryland and what I've been saying the whole time. I think this season was definitely better than the first one, um, onward and upward. After Jessica Jones season two, it was sort of, I was worried a little bit because you hear more and more people talking about the hero fatigue thing. Um, but I think we can look out for a lot bigger and better things going forward. Daredevil season three is hopefully going to be really great. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from there because I don't think they're going to keep stretching out these seasons with the same characters. I think they're going to start mixing and matching. I think they're going to. I think it will potentially lead into Heroes for Hire, Daughters of the Dragon. I would love to see that. Um, I'd love to see more street level heroes, more Punisher, definitely. Um, if they pull out like Ghost Rider, Moon Knight, people like that, I think that would be amazing. Um, but I think they can just keep doing it. And if they keep doing it like this, it's going to be great. So if you did like season one of Luke Cage, definitely check out season two. You think they'll even come out with Ghost Rider again, though? So Ghost Rider, um, the one that was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a different one. That's mm -hmm. like the newer Ghost Rider. But they could totally easily do like a um, uh, suddenly the, the original Ghost Rider's name is out of my head. But like the one that was portrayed Johnny by Nicholas. Was. Yeah, Johnny Blaze, uh, the Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider, could be in the Marvel Netflix universe as not played by Nicolas Cage, obviously. <laughs> they could probably get somebody much better to do it, but he could be a really great, dark, gritty, like, ground-level superhero dealing with, like, weird supernatural stuff. Because especially now that they're dealing with sort of, like, the stuff that they brought up this season with, like, the, like, the sort of voodoo stuff, like... It could be interesting. Well, they already even yeah. brought up the supernatural element in Defenders and in... Um, Iron Fist. No, nah, even before that, they brought it up in Daredevil. Yeah. So, season yeah, one. Yeah, true. So, People I mean, it's... Back, uh, and, like, 
Yeah. yeah. The black right. sky, is that what it is? The black yeah. sky, the hand. Yeah, and then it could tie into Doctor Strange, because he lives on Bleecker Street. Why hasn't he showed up at all? Like, what's, what's going on? <laughs> he, was it Chow just walks outside and is like, what's going on out here? Yeah, just, like, <laughs> He's the only one left, so it's just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, kind of, it still makes me wish that they had Cloak and Dagger on Netflix. Because they are, uh, is really they are part of this group. They do kind of get into the more mystic, supernatural elements, and that's a fun show too. So definitely check yeah. it out. It'd been interesting if they they kept it within the Netflix family, though. Where is Cloaking Dagger? Where can I watch that? It's on Freeform, but you can watch it on Hulu. Okay, it's ABC's version of the CW, which is <laughs> tied into Hulu. <laughs> okay, Hulu, got it. Yeah, I, I can watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So lasting thoughts. I'm not going to repeat what you guys said. Um, Definitely enjoyed it. Um, I, I liked it a lot more than the first season. Uh, I still have a bit of hesita- hesitations of some of the stereotypicalness of just showing black culture as a whole. Um, and the fact that <clears throat> black culture has something to do with running a club, drugs, guns, you know, hip-hop, R&B, music. So, and it's just like, I get, I, I, you know, and I see that and I get it and I, I don't usually have an issue with it, but once you're doing kind of the same things as the first season's doing, it's to the point where it's like, man, not more than just black people live in Harlem. Like, come on. Like, yeah, there's many Harlems. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of other races that we can and I understand why they focus so much on Luke Cage, but I thought that's what season one was for and I think uh, I was really hoping that this season broads out a little bit and more make it a bit more inclusive because it's not just about black people it's important but it's not just about it so it's okay i liked it uh i definitely just enjoyed in it. season three opens luke cage is playing monster hunter in his office <laughs> <laughs> if that shit happens if that happens bro that would be awesome people don't even know what monster hunter is shut up brylin and with that, we have been the Down in Front Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in for our full review of Luke Cage Season 2. Brylin, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me not peddling cheap clothes on Twitter at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. I also post uh, many more reviews on my Instagram account at I am Brylin from time to time. And I am the host of the Gamescast. We're back. We're playing through Beyond Two Souls, twitch.tv slash Down in Front Podcast. And when you said mini movie reviews, right? Like M-I-N-I. M-I-N-I. Okay. Not many, as in I do it a lot of times. <laughs> well, I think I, I overheard that the other day, and I was like, does he mean mini or mini? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't sure. Abbott, where can we find more of your work? Uh, well, as most of you know, I'm also the host of the Fear Boners, uh, horrific specials that we do from time to time here, so look forward to many more of those. Otherwise, you can search The Abs Man to find me everywhere else on the internet. Not to be confused with The Ass Man, uh, but either way, if you search either of those, you're bound to have a good time. Nice. Uh, we are the Down in Front Podcast. Definitely check out more of our work at just about anywhere you listen to the uh, streaming for the podcast, whether it's Google Play Store, iTunes, Stitcher. We're definitely going to be there. We're also on Spotify, so if you want to stream it, and if you're like many of the people who love our Bright episode, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you a lot. We're still confused yes, of you. who's continuing to watch, listen to that, but do you. Keep watching Bright. Yeah, pl- cl- please, please keep streaming Bright. <laughs> 
Uh, for, for any of our Twitter, you know, underscore DAFP, um, you have our email, the crew at downinfrontpodcast.com. Our website, downinfrontpodcast.com, also is going to have just about every information that you need, any links that's supporting that's going to go to there. So definitely go check that out. And if you like what we do, if you like hearing our sexy voices almost all the time, definitely go help us out as patrons. Sign up, you know, just prices on the can label. Uh, we have a tier that you can join in our um, actual Discord channel to hang out and we chat about new episodes and new content and just, just hang out really with the Down in Front Podcast crew. So that's patreon.com slash Down in Front Podcast. Thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the week and we will see you soon for a review of Sorry to Bother You. And I cannot wait to talk about that movie. Bye. Bye. I'm waving if you can't tell. Sweet Christmas. My voice can't get low enough. Sweet Christmas.